0: Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the ballquest.com mailbag podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure to check them out at Blue Water Climate or at Blue H2O underscore climate. Plenty to get to in this mailbag edition. <clears throat> I'm Bryn Hubbs with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. And gentlemen, football's back. At least it's planned on being back. How does uh, everybody's asking this question? What, what was your reaction, Austin, when? And I know we we mentioned it uh, on Wednesday night before, but what went through your head when you saw what the ACC did this week and got wind that the SEC was coming down the pike with their news as well?
1: Well, I mean, I think it felt good for everybody.
0: You know, I mean, you know,
1: I, I think for all of us that, you know, depend on sports, not just from a work standpoint, but just for daily enjoyment. I mean, whether – you know, even if it's watching Major League Baseball or the NBA back or the PGA Tour or NASCAR or whatever, um, as this has kind of slowly, you know, gotten more and more and more, um, it's just been nice. It's been nice to have something different. It's been nice to have more normalcy uh, in, in a world that still, you know, is obviously uh, battling some things. But on the whole, um, we are more, much more normal now than we were a month ago as far as, you know, having what we're used to having um, as far as sports. And so, uh, you know, you kind of got that, that feel that the last week or so that it's just a matter of time and dot and I I's, crossing T's, and, you know, kind of getting this thing uh, planned out, and now we know the plan. Now I'd be interested to see what they do with the scheduling. Does, is it as simple as adding your next two uh, cross-division opponents or what do they do there? And, and then, then is it just as simple as laying it out or do they, you know, kind of jumble up the schedule? And, and and you know, all of a sudden the schedule looks vastly different. They're playing Florida in
0: November and Vanderbilt in early October. Who knows? Yeah, I I think Rob, the schedule has to be pretty vastly different. I don't think it's just a plug and play uh, of two teams because you gotta put the open date in there as well because the, the league has said there'll be I did a like mid-season, that, by the way. There'll be a mid season open date, you know, in there at some point. Uh but the other thing too, I, I just think that Look, the, the the athletic directors have to sign off on the schedule. Okay, how are you going to get 14 guys to agree to two extra games if you don't just come out and say, "Hey, you're going to play your next two Western Division opponents"? Which That's seems the simplest, like the, which it's the simplest, easiest way to do it. It's the way that everybody, no, nobody in that room, and as an athletic director, they may not like the two teams they play, but you can't say. Well, some I'm being treated unfairly because they're just the next two games on your your
1: schedule. And, And let's face it, who does that hurt most? It hurts Florida. Tennessee will pick up LSU and Ole Miss going that route. They already added Arkansas, and, of course, they have their permanent in Alabama. Georgia has their permanent in Auburn. They pick up Alabama this year and then would add two weaklings in Arkansas and Mississippi State. For twenty-one and twenty-two, but Florida would have to play LSU, who's their permanent. But have to play Alabama and Texas A&M. There would be three three biggies, or so to speak, for Florida more so than Tennessee and Georgia, which would host two. It's good yeah, I, mean,
2: I, I just I think your points a good one, Brent, about how the, the schedule's almost certainly going to have to look different. Um, when you talk about, you know, everybody's open date was not the same spot. Everybody. You know, some teams are playing a non-conference opponent this week, you know, one week, and some some teams are playing in-conference opponents. I, I, I think that it, it will be it, – it'll look a lot different.
0: Yep, and it'll be uh, interesting to see what the uh, computer spitballs out for what that schedule is going to look like. Um, but, again, I, I I just think it makes the most sense for, for it to be the two Western uh, – your next two on the rotator to, to dive in there. But maybe the league does something different. I don't know. I just – I think that's the easiest thing to get all the athletic directors to agree on it. Yeah. So, we'll see. Here, here's
1: my question to that, though. Is Does that mean that you still would go right back to where you normally would be and, ten, and Ole Miss would come here next year? Or does it mean that Texas A&M would come here and it would bump the schedule up by two years? Not that it really matters, but, I mean, I, I guess I'm intrigued to see how they do this. Do they kind of say, well, this is kind of an awkward year, you'll still have the same schedule you always were supposed to have going forward.
0: Well, I, I think it, I think it bumps it up two years, um, because you've got to stay on your home and away schedules because you're going to have to have an even number of home conference games and an even number of away conference games. And so I, I think you would see, um, you would see them just bump it up two years and continue on with that trend as opposed to jumping it up
2: one year. Rob, you were, you were going to say? I was going to say, assuming we have a college football playoff, how, did, how is that going to impact things? Say, say there's a two-loss SEC team that, you know, pretty clearly looks like one of the best teams in the country. And, and you know, somebody in Big 12, you know, runs the table. Or, or you know, the ACC. And, and I, that, 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 to me, is going to be pretty fascinating.
0: Well, I think, I think, th- that. I think the other thing that's fascinating, too, is, you know, <laughs> this shows you how much the Power Five just doesn't deal with each other that you've got one league already announcing that they're going to play 11 games and the next league to announce says they're going to play 10. They're not even going to play the same number of games. I mean, I mean, you couldn't even as a group of five or five conferences, you couldn't even sit down and say, okay, we're going to play 10. Everybody's going to play 10. You know, you got one saying, and the big 12 might play nine, you know, who who knows what they're going to end up with. I, I think it's pretty fascinating that it's literally, um, you know, it's like each individual conference is their own warlord. And, you know, and they've got their own territory and they're just going to do their own thing. And it, d- don't get, get put, on my lawn. You know what I mean?
1: To to put it in wrestling terms, Hub, wrestling. this is back to the old days where there were territories and you had like Jim Crockett promotions and then you had, you know, you know, Smoky Mountain wrestling and that, all, what all the these bl- different
0: areas. What the bloody crap are you talking about, AP? Is that back when? Trust uh, me,
1: there'll be some on the general supporters <laughs> that know – what I'm talking
2: about. Hey, and how about Notre Dame saving their bacon? And that. Well, uh, jumping and into the ACC. I wonder
1: how much financially they offered the ACC to be able to get in there and play all those. Well,
2: games. they're splitting. They're, they're they're throwing in their NBC money. Yeah.
1: See, I didn't I didn't pay attention to. All Here's that. Here's an
0: interesting theory that somebody threw at me. That you Swafford, the ACC commissioner, is on his way out. He's a he's announced his exit date or whatever the athletic director at Notre Dame may have interest in being the commissioner of the ACC and he's brokered a deal. Of course they had to save their schedule anyway and put a schedule together, which was going to be impossible as an independent. But I think a big stroke for the ACC to get Notre Dame in uh, because it gives them certainly football credibility, which they desperately need in that league because basketball in that league is getting ready at some point in the coming years, rather sooner rather than later, is going to be undergoing a major facelift in that conference. When you talk about Jim Bayheim, you talk about Roy Williams, you talk about Mike Krzyzewski, the faces of the ACC, Rob, they're not going to be there a whole lot longer, one would not think. And so yeah, the, AC, the ACC has got to have something more than Dabo Sweeney. And so to get Notre Dame in there is a big stroke, uh, a big deal for them financially. Do we, do we think John Curry had anything to do with that? He was on a plane on the West Coast, and nobody knew where he was at the time that vote was taking place. All right, let's go to PTSD ball as we get things started here tonight. I'm going to give you the first props here because he's accusing me of skipping his question anyway. So we're not going to skip it tonight uh, or or this morning. Uh, Do you like the ball's chances? How do you like the ball's chances in Baton Rouge if it is LSU that's added? I don't like Tennessee's chances. I don't think that's a great matchup for Tennessee and Baton Rouge. I just think that – I mean, I think LSU is really good.
1: I think they're good. I think from a team standpoint this is a much tougher game than Oklahoma. So replacing the Sooners with LSU is, is that would be a hurt to Tennessee. But like I've said all along, I do think in in this world that we live in now where the stands will likely be either empty or 20% capacity, there's a much better chance for road teams to go into stadiums to win which works against Tennessee when they play at Neyland I mean like they're not going to have that home crowd advantage you know so you know I, I think that I think it just makes it more I guess better teams always going to rise in that in that instance but it does allow you know teams to go on the road and I think have a chance to pull a, a stunner if they can get off to a quick hot start because that wave of the momentum of the crowd's not going to be there.
0: It's a good point on the crowd. I hadn't really thought about that that way, but that, that is an interesting point. It does neutralize the playing field uh, for, for the road team because it's, not, it's going to be a very different um Yeah, I mean, like when you go to place. Auburn, if yeah. you play
1: them at night, if you, playing them at night now with 20% fans is a huge win, whereas playing them during the day, I mean, they're kind of used to that, 20% fans during
0: the day. All right, let's go to Logan Bartlett, who's got a question. What players in recruiting should we know for the 22 class Realize you've done some videos with some. Who are some that could propel us to to could propel them to the top five? I don't know about all that, but but Austin, give me Virginia's got what two or three big time players up there, offensive lineman, running back, and then in the state of Tennessee, it's a better year. And and we'll, well start this Tennessee. That's that's where this class is going to be a uh, large. Gunner in the
1: state. Gunner Gibbons in the state of Virginia is a big one. Um, the biggest one of them all is the kid that just transferred back to Saint Benedict, Walter Nolan who is from an olive branch, went to IMG, has come back, and is now playing for Marlon Walls. And I think there are a couple other former Walls that are on the staff there at St. Benedict. Um, you know, in-state, though, you've got Isaiah Horton, Dallin Hayden, Ty Simpson, uh, you know. Uh, Barry and Brown. Jordan James. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of uh, names in that 22 class. Then you go out-of-state into North Carolina. You've got Travis Shaw, obviously, down in the state of Georgia. Tennessee's after some big-timers. Bennett Christian's a kid that I think, you know, will make a decision in the very near future for one school, whether it's Tennessee or not. You know, looking like, you know, he's down to three. I think he does something probably, you know, sometime early fall. If not before then. So and, and um, I was,
0: he has tons of ties to Tennessee. With the yeah, he did.
1: His mom cheered here. His dad played here. His dad, his granddad did play at Penn State, which wasn't one of the three
0: finalists. But, uh, you know, uh, those are kind of the, the 2022s that just off the top of my head. All right, let's go to Volunteer at 87. Any guesses on what happens to the game in Norman, assuming it's the 10 conference schedule as it is? Um, I'm assuming rescheduled, but it doesn't seem like you'd play BYU and them or Pitt and them in the same year you know rob i think that you got a contract for a home and home there i think oklahoma still comes to knoxville in 24 i think tennessee goes to oklahoma but it may be after, 26 yeah it may 25. be 26 27 somewhere out there when you get by some of the, some of those as you start to to build out that you know the season because i mean oklahoma's got power five games already scheduled in there for 25 and 26, too. So that may be a little bit later.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you'll – I mean, it's not just Tennessee and Oklahoma. I mean, this has happened all across college football. So, I mean, I, I think ADs are going to be open to working with each other and salvaging, you know, these series, figuring out, you know, how to do it. Does that mean maybe one year your you're out-of-conference schedule is a little bit, you know, heavier than you, you might want it to be? You know, perhaps. But, I mean, these are unprecedented times. And I, I think they'll pre- preserve that series. But, yeah, it could be a while. Right. Yeah, I mean Tennessee can Tennessee get the return trip to BYU? They got the Pittsburgh home and home after
1: Nebraska or after the, the the return or the well it will be the first trip to old Norman because it won't be a return. But after that, you've got Nebraska coming up on the schedule. I think in what twenty six and twenty seven or twenty seven and twenty eight. Um, gosh, let's not even talk in those terms. That's just depressing thinking about that far down the
0: road. (laughs) Well, at a
1: certain point in life, you start looking ahead three or four years. And
0: and you know what? I mean, and it may be that the the, the contract gets tore up and they don't play the Oklahoma series. I mean, it's not a given. But I I don't think it's going to be a situation where Tennessee necessarily plays Oklahoma back-to-back years. Um, are, are, you know, in in short order here, but because of what they've got scheduled and what Oklahoma may have scheduled. Part two of his question, what's a GA's role in recruiting? Are they building relationships with high schools or contacting players directly? Seems like a GA would have a hard time convincing someone to come play for them. GAs are working the phones. They're working the direct messages. They visit with the kids when they come on campus. Um, They cannot go on the road, obviously, but we've seen the effectiveness of graduate assistants in recruiting for, for many for many years. You go back to Sean Quinn, Rob, when he was working the West Coast and got Jabril Wilson and Kevin Simon and was involved in all those kids on the West Coast out there at, at one point. Um, Albert T- Tawina, he was involved in that along with Greg Atkins. So, Jesse Nahalona. Yeah, you've seen the effectiveness there. And, and, Austin, we're seeing some of you know the GAs. I mean, Joe Osavat was a GA who couldn't go on the road But the work and the foundation he's laid the last couple of years, helped Tennessee in recruiting the last couple of years, but it's really served him well to get off the ground fast here as a full-time assistant, don't you think? Well, I think that the impact that you can make, you know, I go back, you know, Terry Fair,
1: before he became an on-the-field coach at Colorado State, was a GA here, and he had an impact on – you know, some corners as far as getting them to campus. Now, they intensely end up not, you know, landing them, um, one of which being the kid that ended up at USC and now plays for the Titans. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, Dory Jackson. Uh, yeah. Jackson. There you go. Perfect. Um, you know, Walt Wells had a similar impact uh, his year as a GA before he went on the field as a line coach. But you're right. I think for, like, Joe Osevet, it's learning – the nuances of recruiting because recruiting at the JUCO level and recruiting here are two different things. But the one thing that Joe had going for him is personality. I mean, big personality, you know, loves to cut up, loves to joke, loves people. So I I think anytime you have that type of of a kind of a personality as a GA, it gives you kind of a, a foot in the door when it comes to dealing with the recruits because kids, kids love people that, you know, kind of, you know, not harass them, but like at the same time, you know, they, they're more, you know, bubbly and, and you know, kind of get after it as far as just, you know, you know, checking in on a kid, asking how they're doing, what their day's been like, those type of things. And, and that's
0: where GAs, especially Coach Osevev, before he became an on-the-field coach, had done a nice job. All right, let's go to JPL Vols. Are there any commits considering enrolling earlier than they had originally planned due to COVID causing high school seasons to be canceled? saw a story on the main page about it with some recruits around the country choosing to do this. If not, do you know which commits plan to be on early enroll, plan to be early enrollees as of now? You know, I think the early enrollee thing, um, we just have to wait and see, you know, what, what is, what is this, what does school look like this fall? Uh, I mean, how many online courses, if they're going to be online only can, can guys take, there's some guys out there who have options to be, you know, early enrollees, want to be early enrollees. Um, the, the running back Austin from over in Durham, North Carolina, um, is planning on being an early yeah, Dylan enrollee. Yeah, Jalen Wright will be an early enrollee. Can can. Um, and there's some other guys out there who, who have that possibility. Um, I don't know of anybody that's just going to show up here like – nobody's going to show up here this month like and be Grimes done. Did. Like Tony Grimes has done. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. And and I think the other thing, too, is with some of these kids whose seasons have been moved to the spring, how many of those kids
2: are going to play their senior year of high yeah, school? That, that was going to be my question. How many how many kids is that going to affect, like in Virginia, California? Will they will they be willing if, – if they were going to be an un, un, early enrollee or had the ability, are they going to punt, you know, their senior high school, high school football season?
0: And even if they're not an early enrollee, do they take a chance on getting hurt in the spring of their – they're, you know, heading into college, you know, do they want to take that chance as well? So I, I think the spring thing is going to be really interesting at the high school level to see who elects to play, and if some guys don't elect to play, you know, when and I, either if they're an early enrollee or they're not an early enrollee. All right, Volman, fifty-six. When's the first day of practice, and on that first day, will Jeremy Banks be suited up? I'm going to say yes on Jeremy Banks being there. Well, he's already <laughs> back, so I mean, like he's yeah, suited up he'll be now up. Uh, with, with the. Um, with the the OTAs that they're doing, um, first day of practice. You know, I don't, I'm not sure they haven't announced that yet, but it's not going to be next week. They're not going to go into pads next week and have two months of a training camp. So I'm sure they'll change that to more like what the normal schedule would be. So, which means you would go into a fall camp. I I would think late August, um, lighter part of August heading into September, right? Am I missing something there? That would be my guess. I mean, I just
2: don't think you're going to have kids hitting for, you know, eight weeks before they play their first game. Yeah, I don't, right. Missing. It extended my golf season by a few weeks. Yeah. We'll see what course you
0: can con your way on to play with that one that you got no business <laughs> playing, but you get to play somehow. All right. Volcan wants to know from each of us, assuming a 10-game conference schedule, which we know as it is, uh, what record fits the continued improvement narrative for Jeremy Pruitt and company? And what six are and your personal record
2: predictions for, this sea, for a successful season?
0: Yeah, six I would, and I would four go or better.
2: Six, six and four, seven and three would be great. I mean, I mean, you're playing what, four, four top ten teams, most likely in Florida, Bama, Georgia, and LSU. So, and then I think Tennessee arguably would be favored in the other six.
1: I told somebody the other day or, or a couple of days ago, Rob, that I thought, based off the ten-game model – Six wins is 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 is, is very much uh, a benchmark that Tennessee needs to try to get to because that means you have beaten the teams that you finally got over the hump on last year again. Yeah, South I agree. Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and that means you've won Arkansas and you've won Ole Miss and you've won Kentucky, and then if you win anything else, then that's gravy.
2: I agree, and then then. I mean, there's no shame in losing those four games to four programs that are that were clearly established by the time Jeremy got here. Next year, he'll have four, uh, four full recruiting recruiting classes. This will truly be his, you know, his roster that he built. And then I think you start looking to go toe to toe with those guys and at least win a couple, or at yeah, least win I, one.
0: And I think, and, and of course, Jeremy Pruitt's not on the hot seat at all. But I, I think because of this schedule, because of where everybody's at financially. I think a lot of coaches get a mulligan this year. Okay, agreed. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Will Muschamp's buyout's what, thirteen million? Yeah. They're not hiring him. I think right they now. get a mulligan as long as there's, as long as the team don't quit on them.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if they go one and
0: nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, different yeah. Deal. I like,
1: mean, like, if you're if you're Muschamp though, you can't go three and seven. I, not in my opinion. Be mean, if you go three, three and seven, a million buyout. you're yeah. flirting at three
0: and seven. Well, but I agree. I agree. The narrative is very bad there. But financially, you're going to lose a ton of money. Millions. With with 25,000 fans in the stands a, as a max. I just think it's going to be hard to justify an economic climate paying that $13 million buyout. I, I think, well, I mean, personally, I
1: think for Tennessee, the best thing that could happen is – South Carolina goes like three and seven and he keeps his job because sure. at that point you can sell to every recruit in this class. Look at that. And then you're sitting there thinking he's coming back as a lame duck coach again yep. for a second consecutive year. But I, but I,
0: yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think you're right for Tennessee. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just think, again, I just think it's hard for, for guys to, for ADs and presidents to sign off on paying that kind of buyout and the climate that everybody is in right now where they're obviously not going to make their budget. I mean, nobody's making budget in their football budget this year, which we know carries a lot of weight in terms of helping other sports and everything else at your school. I mean, there's going to be some schools who are going to dip into their university-side reserve to help out athletic departments because of where they're going to be. Um, All right, let's get to hard hat ball. Anything on any possible incoming transfers? Um, You know, I don't, I don't feel any transfers right now, Austin. I, I mean, I'm not saying Tennessee wouldn't take one, but with where things are right now, I, I just don't feel like there's a, a real. Transfer I mean,
2: who's transferring? I mean, yeah.
1: Tennessee's not taking the tight end from USC, based off of everybody I've talked to. Now, if a kid wanted to walk on, I'm mean, Tennessee not even think anybody would to walk on. I mean, there there was a kid last year that Tennessee talked about him walking on he came from Florida State and actually played high school ball with Jameer Johnson It never did materialize the Upshur kid um but you know Tennessee kicked the can and and was trying to get him to walk on and that was a kid again had played at Florida State um and, and was high school teammates with Jameer Johnson going into last season but that that never materialized so again I mean would Tennessee take somebody as a walk on sure
0: Yeah, uh, they would absolutely as a walk-on. All right, let's get to a couple of other quick recruiting questions here as we bounce around a little bit. Uh, Bassmaster Vol wants to know, do you think Tennessee can keep Rock Taylor away from Auburn? Does Tennessee have a legitimate shot at Darius Mims? And where does Tennessee stand for the Reverend Zachary? Let's start with the last. I think they're in a really good spot
1: for Christian Zachary. Really good. Um, Elsewhere, I think they can hold Rock Taylor away from Auburn. Um, Tennessee's done a really good job there, making Rock Taylor feel important um, ever since they took him, because they knew at some point these other schools are going to come calling and things may get dicey. So they've continued to recruit him as if he wasn't committed. Uh, Darius Mims, I still think Georgia or Alabama, um, but him not doing anything until October 14th gives you a little bit of time. Who knows? You go out there and win a game or two early, maybe win a, a game you're not supposed to win early, show some, some movement. I think guys like Mims and Munden want to see Tennessee win football games.
2: And just for those for everybody listening, we're we're doing this on a Zoom call and Austin really emphasized the Christian Zachary point with, with some emphatic hand movements.
0: <laughs> with some hand gestures about how good of a shape the balls are in. All right. Speaking of stunned with something, let's go to P Fortenberry's question tonight. <laughs> Pete Fortenberry has dropped a, a, dropped a message and dropped a question in the mailbag. Wants to know your favorite coach getting mad at you story. Stunned. Stunned about the run game, right, Paul? That was a fun one for you, wasn't it, bud? There in uh, the postgame in, in Athens, Georgia. All right, I'm going to rattle off three, but I'm not going to go in great details about it. Um, Philip Former threw me out of bowl practice for a week and suspended me from bowl practice for a week. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one. That was as I was leaving the radio station getting ready to start Ball Quest. Kevin O'Neill treated me worse than pond scum uh, over the fact that I called Vegas Davis in a hotel room in Knoxville while I was on official visit because Vegas didn't have a telephone and his, um, the, the, the reservation that he lived on out in Arizona when Tennessee was recruiting him. Um, he threatened to have me fired and everything else. I've never been cussed in my life the way that Kevin O'Neill cussed me on the phone after that one, so that one jumps out there. Dooley didn't really get mad, but that was an awkward vault calls when I did vol calls after we wrote Sunday afternoon, prior to that vault calls that he was not going to be back as Tennessee's head coach. Uh, so that one was a little bit awkward uh, that way when, when we when I dealt with that one. So those are three that jump out to me. The worst by far was the Kevin O'Neill moment which is why he flipped me a bird when he drove out in Michael Hunt's Toyota Corolla the night he left Tennessee in the middle of the night to go to Northwestern. So, uh, you guys chime in.
2: BP called me and, and chewed me pretty good once over um, reporting the, the, the Duke Cruz heart ailment before he was ready for that to get out. Um, Rick, I mean, there's certainly different used. Rick got pretty upset with me when I, um, like, posted a bunch of stats from the his – annual scrimmage with Davidson for some reason he's maniacal about not having any details of that get out but that was a uh, the tenor of that conversation was a little bit different than the one with Pearl oh and oh, Phil, for me Phil got really mad at me one time after I guess this was probably his last either his last year or the year, I think it was his last year after Georgia had, had hammered him pretty good I, I asked him I can't remember how it was phrased something about if he felt like you know, there had been significant slippage in the program compared to Georgia and Florida. And he, he didn't take that very well. Philip got mad at me. Do, I, I remember
1: this. So when, when Chris Walker had just got to campus, Chris Walker was, I got word that he was at a party and the police had arrived. So at that point, you know, I'm fresh out of college. So I'm just, you know, 23, 24 years old. So I messaged Chris and just said, Hey, you know, you know, be careful, you know, you know, you know, if, if you need to get out of there, I mean, let me knock i pick you up. Again, I'm fresh out of college. And it spooked Chris Walker so bad that a media guy knew he was at a party where the cops were. He, he, he called, uh, I think it was Gerald Harrison, right, Hubs? And uh, the next day, uh, Hubs calls me and he goes, <laughs> and so like, I laugh about that. Now, um, let's see, Jeremy got mad. He got mad because I asked him if, he, if, he was, if, if Chris Winkie was on his way after he had fired Robert Gillespie because at that point, again, this tells you how far Coach Pruitt has come. At that point, Coach Pruitt had only ever talked to media guys about recruiting stuff. He had never talked to them about team things. So, like, he and I had talked a bunch the first month and a half on the job about recruiting stuff, but he had never talked team. And so when I asked him a team question. it just, like, floored him. Like, he got so mad about that. And then now, like you know, again, it's it's common nature. But again, it just shows you how far he's come along the way. There's probably been one or two other times where some co- assistant coach has gotten pissy about things, but nothing major.
0: All right, so let's go to Cleveland um, two four two eight five four. Considering everything that's happened for the balls, uh, has that has to happen for the balls to finish seven and five? What's the biggest must happen that you can see for that to come to fruition? Tennessee's got to have a great quarterback play if they're going to win seven games. Rob, they've, they've got to have good quarterback play. That's yeah, not, I mean, if There gonna are beat,
2: other things, but that's the biggest thing to me. No question. No question. I mean, if they're going to beat – I mean, right now, maybe not Florida so much, but beating Georgia, Alabama, or LSU, those would be significant upsets. I mean, those would be kind of, you know, program-building wins for a third-year head coach. So, and you're not going to – you're not beating any of those four teams without Jared Guarantano playing out of his mind. All right, Chat Townval wants
0: to know what position does Zion? I guess he's talking about Zion Williamson. Play if he were to play football.
2: Oh, he's a bigger Julius Peppers, I think.
0: If he can stay healthy, he's coming off the edge, playing defensive end. That's what, that's what I think.
2: Versus tight end. I think he wreak much more havoc as a defensive end.
0: All right, I don't disagree with that one. Smokey Man, fifteen. What's T. Hodges doing to impress early, and is Tank McCullough locked in as a starting spot? I, Rob, I like Tank McCullough as a starting safety. I think he did enough last year to be one of Tennessee's two safeties. Um, I, I just like the way he plays. So I, I'm going to take McCullough guy. As for T. Hodge, I think it's just his attentiveness. I think it's the maturity he's shown since he's been here. That's not a knock on other guys, but I think his, his maturity level and attentiveness to everything has been something that's got everybody's attention. Now, the proof will come when they put on pads, but I think his mentality has pleased everyone to this point.
2: And probably a reflection of the program he came from.
0: Yep, probably is. Year-round
2: Navy attention to
0: detail. is is, like yeah,
2: situation.
0: is a big deal. All right, Navy guy 44. If Cade doesn't get his waiver, what does the game one offensive line look like? Who is the sixth man? Good question there. Look, you got Brandon Kennedy, you got Trey Smith, you got the two tackles and Darnell Wright and, and
2: Wanya Morris. Who's that fifth guy if it's really? not Cade? I mean – is it, it k Carvin? Do they move Karon back inside from, from tackle? I mean, and I say the, the sixth man is whoever doesn't get that starting job between Carvin and Calvert.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that makes the most logic at that point. Um, I don't think they slide Darnell Wright into guard, but that might be something they look at between him and Karon ron Calvert if there's a better fit there to getting uh, the, your best five on the field. And finally here we'll um, get to this last question. Which SEC coach or coaches were throwing things when they realized it was an SEC only schedule and they had no easy games on their schedule?
2: Which, which coach shook their I'd head? Say, well, I'd say Will Muschamp is less than pleased. It, you know, even though you know we, we covered that earlier, he, we think he gets a mulligan this year. But if he could have somehow cobbled together a you know, six, seven, eight-win season, I think that would have helped him tremendously. Now – You know, if they have a winning record, I think it's a shocker. And I don't even know what – I don't even know what their 10-game schedule looks like.
0: Well, I think Dan Mullen probably wasn't elated because he probably thought that his team had a shot, you know. And and they still do, but they would have to do – I mean, look, even trading trading Texas A&M for Florida State or trading Florida State to Texas A&M, that's not a good trade with with Florida State having a new – even though that's a name deal. Uh, So, I would say Florida's not enamored with the 10-game schedule they're going to get right now. You know, for Sam Pittman and Drinkowitz, I mean, it's going to be harder for those guys to get their first win at some point. But they're they're probably safe and pretty steady with, with all that. The happiest guy was Nick Saban because he's been wanting to play conference-only games for what, Rob, four or five years now. He talks about it a lot, so that that's that's a big deal for him. So, you know, we'll see what this schedule looks like. There'll be a lot of coaches not happy, don't you think, when the schedule comes out? Because oh, I mean, there's just. Oh. I mean, everybody's going to play a gauntlet of games, and so somebody's going to be talking about how their gauntlet's unfair compared to somebody else's gauntlet, even though everybody's playing, you know, 10 out of 11 weeks in in conference-only play, which will be um, something like we've never seen before. So uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, um, and we just hope that we certainly get to that point in September as uh, we've got a plan to play football here uh, in the coming weeks. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Mailbag Podcast, I want to remind you about our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. One of the smartest things you can do to get your home ready for some high heat and humidity is to get Blue Water Climate Control's $79.99 trouble-free tune-up. This tune-up comes with two unheard of guarantees. First, they know that if you don't have a thorough detailed tune-up on your air conditioning, you're going to waste a lot of money on your energy bills. So if they tune up your home system and you don't save at least $100 off this summer's utility bills, they're going to refund you your $79.99 for the tune-up. Secondly, since Blue Water's tune-up can also prevent many costly repairs, if your air conditioner breaks down this summer after you've had the tune-up, the repair is discounted 20%. It's easier than ever to make an appointment. Go to bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, select book online, choose the date and time slot that works best for you. You can also book repair appointments and AC replacement estimates. Or as always, just give them a call at 865 865- for all your air conditioning needs. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us for this Mailbag Podcast, and have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.